0: Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live coming to you from the studios of Grace FM in Aurora, Colorado, a Denver suburb. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Everyone listening on another station somewhere, Hope FM, Truth FM, Rock FM, Refuge FM, on and on all the FMs, maybe some AMs along the way as well, but we're glad that you've joined us. Uh, My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor of Calvary Church here at Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, celebrating this December, 21 years. Uh, Very, very hard to believe that that time has passed so quickly, but it was 1999 that my family and I, the five of us, moved here uh, on this adventure Uh, following God. I was reminded uh, just to encourage you, and by the way, while we're starting out the show, it's always time to grab open lines. I see all lines are open right now, um, and the number to get on the air is 303-690-3000. So we'd like to start out with uh, some opening uh, discussion, opening dialogue, uh, until we get the calls coming in. And of course, you can uh, text us a uh, call, uh, excuse me, you can text us a question or comment at 720 336 But I was reminded in a small way what God had called us to do, uh, it reminded me of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, really Abram, where it says, Jehovah said, Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you, and in all your families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. So in a real way, that was uh, what God was calling us to get up out of where we were. <clears throat> um, we didn't really ever feel like, uh, I still don't have a call to be a missionary in another country. Uh, you know God when He when He places a call upon your life, He's going to use you, and He's going to take into consideration your personality. Uh, he's going to take into consideration where He wants you. Like a good manager, you know, like Dave Roberts last night, World Series champion Dodgers, like Dave, Ro- like uh, Roger, like Dave uh, Roberts. He, as a manager, his responsibility is to place the right players in the right place uh, on the World Series champion Dodgers. Uh, And if he does that right, then he's going to be champion. Now, of course, God always does it right, Uh, and he's going to place you as the champion of your life uh, right where he wants you, and you can trust him. And sometimes he's going to tell you get up out of your country or get up out of your city or get up out of your chair, Get up out of your work, get up, and I'm going to send you somewhere. Follow me. And it was the beginning of a life dedicated to God, uh, and what a life uh, testimony he has given to us. Uh, so encouraging. So give us a call, 303 690 is the number, 303 690 Uh, Welcome to everyone listening around the country. I see quite a few dots. I see some in Ukraine and South Africa. Welcome. Um, Very grateful that you have joined us. I don't know if you guys heard, but the Los Angeles Dodgers are the World Series champions. Uh, Just in case you didn't know, uh, I want you to know. I think it's important for you to know. This was the year. Uh, and yeah, it was a shortened season, but everybody played a shortened season. So anybody that would, um, anybody that would play this season, uh, anyone that would win, it's a legitimate win. Uh, and here's a text question. I knew you're going to talk about the Dodgers, so I turn it on for a few. Yes, well, the focus of our call our show today will not be the Dodgers, but there are nobody calling. So that means I'm wide open to talk about whatever. I want to talk about, but let's talk, let's take uh, Dodgers, uh, let's take baseball for a second, sports, and build a bridge, you know, the Dodger organization has waited 32 years uh, for a World Series uh, champion, I think the Rockies have waited forever uh, from their existence uh, for a World Series champion, and and I was thinking, you know, the idea of waiting, um Uh, sports teams not going to be, not going to have much bearing in eternity. The people on sports teams, the believers are definitely going to have a lot of bearing on eternity, but sports, not really. However, we can learn things, and there's a lot to be said about organized sports, uh, teaching character and integrity, and and, and teaching waiting, you know, perseverance. Uh, Whether it's waiting 32 years, or, you know, I think of a young person that might be in the the minor league system of a baseball club and and just waiting, 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 waiting for their call up. And I know the life of the believer also involves a lot of waiting. Um, we don't always like it. Um, I mean, who does? Um, we, we have a tendency to want things now. We have a tendency to demand things now. We have a tendency to think we know the proper timing. Um, but I, I I love this verse. You might want to jot it down. It's something that you should really hold on to uh, in times of waiting uh, because you you might forget that, and I have it memorized, but I want to lo- read it to you uh, before I say anything, so I'm going to look it up here. Um, it's in the Psalms, and it's just so good. It's so encouraging uh, to be remem- reminded of this thing. Um, There's a couple. So first one I want to share with you is Psalm 34, verse 10. Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Those that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And then another one in Psalm 84, verse 11 for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then Psalm 103, verse 5. God Speaking of God, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So three phrases, three uses of good thing. The first one is, is that there'll be no lack of good things in your life. So if you don't have something, then it is not good for you now. Not necessarily that it's not good, but it's not good for you now. Secondly, we learned that God's not holding back any good thing from you. If you're walking up lightly, abiding in Christ, no good thing is being withheld from you. But And you say, but Ed, I want this, and Ed, I need that, and Ed, this is good. Well, listen, if it's good, then God will provide it for you. And of course, what we often confuse is the timing of the Lord, like I said earlier, waiting. And then finally, God does satisfy your mouth. He does satisfy you with good things. God does bring satisfaction, and so it's required for you to wait. And like the Los Angeles Dodgers, did I mention they are World Series champs? Did I mention that? The Los Angeles Dodgers, World Series champs, uh, they waited 32 years. Uh, for another world championship. Um, hey, Kevin, can you find out when the Rockies started? What year did they start? You Colorado native, you should know this off the top of your head. This was the momentous day when they started playing baseball in Colorado in this altitude. Um, let's find out how long they've waited. 303-690-3000. 303 uh, 690 You think 95, so 95, 25 years. So that would make it 25 years uh, the Colorado Rockies have been waiting. They got so close. They got so close. Um, that was the, uh, when the Rockies went to the World Series here in Colorado, that was the first time, 93, so 20, uh, 27 years. So 93 was when, uh, April 5th, 1993. I love baseball. I love Rockies baseball. I love going to Coors Field Uh, Nothing like Dodger Stadium or anything, you know, because that's where I was born. Um, But you Rockies out there listening, we love you. You can always send me tickets. I will go to your games and enjoy it, Uh, absolutely. But you know what it's like to wait. And actually, in my lifetime, the first World Series game that I ever attended was at Coors Field. And I was grateful to get tickets, and we had time there. And what a great place to—baseball is my sport. You know, that's the sport of my family. That's all we really are into. Uh, we're into you know USC Trojan football a little bit, and somebody who tune in isn't this a Bible program? It is. But I'm trying to show you that we can take any topic and build a bridge to the gospel. You can take any topic, whatever you're into. You're into knitting. You're into Ford cars, Chevrolet. You're in whatever you're into can be a bridge into talking about the things of the Lord. Uh, and and really waiting is very hard, whether it's. 27 years now for the Rockies, or 32 years for the Dodgers, uh, whatever it might be. It's Waiting can be hard, but the timing of the Lord is always perfect for you, the believer. God is working only for the believer can we say with absolute confidence that God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. I see the phones are lighting up. Uh, or text me. 303, I just got a text, I'm not going to repeat it, but it's funny, 303-690-3000, and 720-336-0897, that's the text line, so give me a call, I'd love to talk to you about what's on your mind, answer any Bible questions, um, Oh, here we go. Let's go to let's go to line one. Tim is in Denver. Welcome to the program, Tim. Hey, how's it all going? It's hey, going great. Here we are. You know. Yeah. So tell me, what's what's this about KOA and the Rockies?
2: Well, I was a very blessed fellow. I had just came in second. Actually, first and second at KBC in Los Angeles, yes. writing overnight news promos. Went out there and somehow I didn't get the job and got hired at KOA in uh, early 92 and was charged with putting on the first broadcast at the Colorado Rockies. So So
0: was it 92? Is that their beginning year?
2: Yeah, I was right there. Uh, uh, Chris Olinger was a PD. She said, here's Uh a Rockies mug. Make it sound good, Tim.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was an exciting uh, time for Colorado. But
2: but, but right now, you know, the, the thing here is... Uh, I'm just concerned about all the people that are so split and, and hurting about all this viral thing, and we're hitting a triple whammer with cold, flu, and COVID. Yes. So I just want to offer up a little bit of a prayer. I, I feel for all those who are—the uh, most important thing is I, I, I try to make a study of immune things and things to do, and it kind of comes my way. Yes. And I, I, re- I hear about things, and there are beautiful things to take. Sure. Supplements actually in, in different uh, health food stores uh-huh. they can take for immunity, and uh, you don't have to you don't have to OD on it. Uh, just get a steady little bit of thing going. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure you're talking to so many people who well, this this is such a difficult situation. Yes. I just want to offer my prayers and my thoughts for so many people uh, in this world and across the state um, that are just so concerned. Uh, we have to take precautions, but you know, we we have to take care of ourselves. And maybe yeah. we don't we don't go to certain fast food places, and we we don't hang out at convenience stores too much, and uh, we cut the sugars back a little bit because they absolutely blow out your immune system. Yeah. So uh, be careful, everybody, and uh, look to Jesus. Uh, there's a reason, isn't there? I think you know that. <laughs> for
0: all this. Well, thanks for your call, my brother.
2: You have a beautiful day. Right, Thank bye-bye. you.
0: So I'm going to join my brother here, and I'm going to pray. So Father, we we ask for uh, mercy when it comes to this virus, and uh, as He mentioned, uh, division, difficulty, um, antagonism, anger, frustration, on top of all the other things, and uh, we pray for your mercy, God. We pray that, like your Word says, you can change the hearts of leaders, like the waters, uh, like the rivers of water, and we know that no matter who's in, who's in charge, God, you, you prevail. I think of Nebuchadnezzar. I think of King Ahasuerus uh, in Esther, as I was reading today, that you are truly able to change um, the heart of a king and the direction of a king. So thank you for your faithfulness, God. And may you um, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, 303-690-3000. We are uh, taking your calls and questions. The phone lines are wide open this afternoon. 303-690-3000. You know, we had some outages recently on Grace FM. Appreciate your prayers and all that. It happened to be a failure in our equipment um, and uh, a sleepless night from Kevin and our engineer going up there. and And it always reminds me to remind you that Uh, We would uh, love for you to partner with us financially. Um, This particular issue is a very expensive fix. Uh, We got it fixed. I mean, mean, it's getting fixed in the process, Um, but it's expensive. Uh, And and so if you want to partner with us and share the burden, uh, go to gracefm.com, gracefm.com. I know that I've mentioned this before, whether you're listening on Hope FM, Truth FM, whatever station you're listening this to, support local Christian radio, please. And I'm not so concerned about K-Love and Way FM and putting all the music, or even major corporations like Salem that have just money flowing through and they can do all this wild advertising and stuff. Stations like Grace FM and Hope FM are church-owned. And what that means is a church owns it and a church runs it. And a church pays all the bills uh, besides those that might partner. Um, And so as you give, you're really giving to Calvary Church that supports Grace FM. It's a ministry outreach. It comes from the church. um, And we're committed to it. So whether you give or not, we're committed to it. But we're inviting you to be a part of it. We're inviting you to be a part of what God's doing. Um, Like the testimony, my my most favorite testimony starts out with saying, Uh, I am a believer. My family's following God today because of Grace FM. Um, And they connected with me through Abounding Grace. That's why we got the letter. But there's a lot of radio ministries they are getting the same testimony. Because of your teaching on Grace FM, we follow the Lord. This particular gal um, says, I'm not a pagan anymore. Uh, I'm not following paganism. I'm born again. I'm following the Lord. And I actually met her up in Fort Collins when I taught at the church up there for my friend Dave. So... Um, you know that you you support your local Christian radio. That even when we go down like that, when we're looking to upgrade, we have to change equipment. Where we've got to pay phone bills and rent bills and ele- electricity, man, our electricity bill is, you know, to run an eighty thousand watt station uh, through the metrics. You know how they are able to do stuff. It's expensive, so. We believe what God says, where God guides, he provides. And one of the ways he provides is through the people. Um, that is the way he provides. So would you please say, um, would you please support us? Um, go to gracefm.com, download the free app, set up Recurring Giving. It's that simple. Um, of course, if you can, um, do it and go to your local radio. if you're Wherever you're listening to this, go to your local radio station's website or app and donate as unto the Lord text question. Can you explain what the Pope is saying about all religions? Uh, I don't know what he's saying. I don't pay much attention to the Pope. Um, I don't put much credence into him. Uh, He doesn't reflect um, often a biblical opinion. Um, He's more a political figure, unfortunately. He doesn't speak for God. He isn't God. He's not the absolute authority. Um, The Bible is. And so, if you can tell me something that he said, I can compare it to the Bible, and I can tell you what he's saying. I recently speaking about the LGBTQ community uh, and saying that um, that it is not a sin, and that they should have civil unions uh, instead of saying what the Bible says. You why why would we listen to him? I know that many are loyal to the Catholic religion, but and maybe you're listening right now and you're loyal to the Catholic religion and you equate your loyalty to Roman Catholicism to your loyalty to God, but they're two different things. You can be loyal to God and dismiss a religion that misrepresents God. You can, you can do that. And the way to do that is to take what you're taught and compare it with the Bible. Like, for example, the veneration of Mary is not a biblical teaching. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. We've been studying as a church here the book of Hebrews, and we learn in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the final word, not his mother. And as much as we respect and honor Mary, and I want to meet her, I I love her uh, in her commitment to the Lord, um, just like I love Rahab and her commitment to the Lord in her context that like I I love her as a sister because of her testimony, but Rahab doesn't speak greater than Jesus. Mary doesn't speak greater than Jesus. Um, she's they're my sisters in the Lord. Um, that's our relation. they're our sisters and and so if you have something, I'm sorry I can't I don't know what he's saying about all religions, but if he's not reflecting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him, then He's not telling the truth. He's teaching falsely. So, I am i don't know. If you want to text me back what He's saying, I might be able to speak to it. All right, let's go over to Denver, Colorado. Samantha's on the line. Samantha, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Pastor. Hi, what's up? Um, I was just reading through Exodus, Um, with my daughter and we got to chapter 21 and it was discussing slaves and like what the consequences for hitting a woman or, um, you know, murdering a slave. And so it was just a really hard um, chapter to read. Yes. And so I'm wondering what, um, you know, how are we to understand that for ourselves and then explain it to our children and with everything that's going on, you know, in society today is this... uh, I mean, I know that we need to take it for what it says because it's the Bible and sure. it's true. But I just don't know, you know, how to um, like implement what it says. Not implement what it says. I don't know what I'm. Saying.
0: Well, that's a, no. That's a great question. I, I I get exactly where you're headed with that because there are sections of the Bible that we cannot help but read it in the context of today. You know, we can't help with it. That's where we are living in uh, the twenty. Uh, first century, so we we don't have a choice but other than to say this is this is the context in which I live, uh, and what does that exactly mean for the sake of of you know my my world today? What what does that mean exactly? And and so we we want there's two things you always want to be careful of in the scripture uh, when it is um, when we're reading it, and we need to do We need to remember a couple things. Number one, we need to remember that the um, Bible was written to a particular audience at a particular time. So we always want to do two things with any Bible passage. We want to take the historical context. Like if we never understand what it meant to the original hearers, then we can't, properly apply it to our lives today. We have to understand it from the context of what did God mean to the people that it was written to at the time. And remember, you've got a group of people, a nation that has been delivered from Egypt. Uh, They lived in slavery. They had no real identity. They had no real instruction codified instruction on how to worship God and how to live as a distinct people uh, in a midst of a pagan culture. So when you get to chapter 20, of course, you have, in chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. Those are a lot easier to receive where God is saying, this is how I want you to live, and these are ten keys uh, that are going to Guide your direction, going to guide your life. They're not exhaustive, but they're going to guide your life. And then he says, and then he goes to chapter twenty-one, and he begins to say, "Look, these are the judgments. This is how I want the people to live, and this is how I want them, um, how how I want them to treat each other." And some of them are challenging. It's like God; it can easily be misinterpreted that God is somehow approving of sin, but in reality, He's giving direction kind of meeting us, meeting the children of Israel where they were. Um, you, you have the, the phrase Hebrew servant in verse 2. Um, really what is, um, what's being described here would be more uh, along the lines, it's not exactly, but along the lines of an employment arrangement, um, that, that idea of not slavery as we think of it in the Western context, But rather slavery or or relationship along the lines of of a working, like that's how you would that's the condition of your life, you'd be working for your master and you know at, at the end of verse six, you could even choose when your time is up and you have completed your commitment, you could choose to stay. And many people did choose to say stay. You know when you get to verse seven, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do if uh, she doesn't uh, please her master who's betrothed to her, then let her be redeemed there there's actually an element of value that's being placed on a woman's life that there is a redemption there is you don't sell don't she can't go to foreign people, you need to take care of her, and I do think it's in the context of of, relational, um, of, of relationships within the children of Israel as they begin to form this new um, relationship with God. But it's not without sin. So that's how we, that's how we talk to our kids. Um, the Bible doesn't, and God in his word, doesn't pass over the reality of sinful behavior. Uh, and the law of God is twofold, we know. The law is to limit sin, and it's also to reveal sin. Um, It's to limit sin, because if you know your limits, many people will stay within your limits. But it's also to reveal sin, so people will come to the end of themselves and surrender their life in utter brokenness before God. And so as he goes through and he begins to, um, you know, for example, in verse 16, I'm just kind of scrolling through, he who kidnaps a man and sails him, if it's found in his hand, he'll be put to death. So... He's not approving a kidnapping here. He's actually saying, hey, man, if this happens, this is worthy of death. Um, and, and so you could start talking about your daughter in terms of the reality of God's um, black-and-white view of sin and the value of humanity. And then you always want to take your kids, and you always want to take the Bible fast-forward into the new covenant because God reveals himself progressively so that even all of these sins— all of these weaknesses all of these provisions that God even makes room for sinful for sinful humanity knowing that men will sin and do sin has been dealt with at the cross and now we have a fuller revelation of God's heart because we now know that God took upon himself the sins of humanity and God has taken upon himself we're no longer the children of Israel and we're not being delivered from Egypt so we're looking for two things um, when it when it comes to the to the old covenant of God, we want to look to the uh, ceremonial things that God teaches because ceremonial things have been fulfilled by Christ, and then we want to look for the morality of God because the morality of God is eternal and it never changes, uh, even though the application may change. So, I think that you you get the historical context. You understand what it meant to the people as God is beginning bringing order to them, bringing a sense of justice uh, of which they have no idea. They they were abused in Egypt. So here, I hear the music. It caught up with me. I'm going to put you on hold. I'll take you over the break, okay, Cause I, so you can give me a follow-up, okay? Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back. This is Calvary Live. Uh, the break came so quickly, but we'll be right back. Give me a call. Open line 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back everyone to Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor. Taking your calls and your questions. We were talking a little bit about the difficulty in some of the Old Covenant and the laws—how do we interpret them? How do we teach our kids? So, I had given uh, a little bit of an answer. I want to go back to Samantha. Do you have any follow-up that I can help with and with that explanation?
1: Um, I really appreciate the explanation. I think it, it helps a lot. I, like you said, um, you know, the understanding there is sin and there there will be a consequence for it. Um, one kind of follow-up question they had was. Um, in verse 24, it's talking about the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yes. Um, and then in 26, it's saying, um, if a man strikes the eye of his slave, um, he shall let the slave go because of his eye. Yes. Um, so, you know, like in the verse before, it's like eye for an eye, like very, like this is what happens. And then in the next one is like eye for freedom. So I just had it. I don't know. So I think kind of that hard.
0: there's a there's a condescension of God into the humanity of man. You know, He's not approving of sin; He's regulating it. You know, it's so, sort of like as a parent, um, you you would prefer, and I would prefer. I've had, uh, you know, I've raised three kids uh, that they never sin. Um, I would Absolutely. prefer that they would, like, uh, for example, if um, the worst case scenario, your kids are going out and you, you, know, you don't want them to drink, and you don't want them to get drunk. Um, nobody wants that. You definitely don't want them to drink and, and drive, and nobody wants that. But any good parent would say, look, if you make a mistake, you call me and I'll pick you up. Now, are you approving of that? Like, I, I don't think that would be an approval. It would be, look, I, I'm your dad. I don't want you to get involved in this. Please don't. But if you ever do, come to me. I will help you. Um, there'll be consequences. There'll be difficulty, but you're like you're providing a provision for them that says, "Look, even if you even if you fail greatly, I'm going to be available to you to help you in your failure." And I think God is repeating that when it comes to this. You know, eye for an eye. Many times it's interpreted that automatically, if there is an if there is an eye, you get an eye back. But actually, it's not saying that. What what God is intending is is to limit justice and retribution so that it's not in the realm of vengeance and it's not in the realm of I I don't believe uh, God is approving uh, in any way to say Hey look uh, eye for an eye tooth for a tooth that automatically if your eye is is plucked out that you ha- you have permission to pluck another person's eye out As a matter of fact it would be God's will that you and I just take the hurt because whenever we're reading the Old Covenant, we need to take it into the New covenant because God doesn't change, so his heart's been revealed. His final revelation is in in the clearest language possible has been revealed in Jesus. And you know over and over again, what did Jesus say? You have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, so that the the religious rulers of the day have had taken these teachings and had twisted them around not to reflect God its heart. God's heart is that nobody's eye gets plucked out. That's his desire, that, that nobody died, nobody's murdered. God's desire, nobody gets stolen from. So he places this limitation so that, you know, because you know, you know how we feel. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I certainly have, where I'm wronged, my definition of getting even is not eye for an eye. My definition of getting even when I'm upset and I'm really going through it, is if you poke my eye out, I want to take both of yours. And God is saying, no, no, no. This There's a limitation that I'm placing upon you. Um, it's not two eyes for one eye. It's not two teeth for one teeth. You know, Jesus would say, the heart of the matter is this. If someone hits you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Offer them the left one too. And and so as you, you know, that as as you have this this nation fresh out of Egypt, fresh out of slavery, surrounded by paganism, he's beginning with them in a very rudimentary way. Just like you and I, where he's in our kids, right? We have a different, we have the same uh, overall rules for our household, but they apply differently for a three year old than they do a twenty year old, right? Are you still with me, Samantha? Are you there? I don't hear you. Uh-oh, maybe we lost you. So the, I'll just continue uh, along these lines where God is giving this baby nation some guidelines that progressively will reveal his heart in a fuller way so that now the the benefit for such a horrendous thing In someone that has a work relationship or a servitude relationship with their master, is hey, you know what? This is an eye for an eye. If you do this kind of damage to someone that works for you, you got to let them go. That's that is um, the merciful way. You're you're not going to get one eye back from them. You're not going to get two. That that now the servant gets something even greater than an eye. He gets freedom. Um, And so as you're as you are explaining this to your child, you know depending on what age they are, you begin to see the mercy and the grace of God, even though it is hard to understand, especially the word slavery um, because they, they they were true literal slaves the Jews were, but as they're leaving, they still have these work relationships and debts to be paid with no money to do it that they could pay off their debts by becoming um, committed servants to their master, and that's the relationship that they wanted. I think a, um, a good uh, illustration of that today would be like the difference. Some people, like my dad, my dad just loved to clock in and clock out. That's what he wanted. He didn't want to be in management. He didn't want to oversee people. He was very, very happy to clock in and clock out and work for somebody, um, and, and he did a great job at it, raised a family. I, on the other hand, um, I've always had that sense where God has placed in me the desire to oversee and to help people. And uh, for many years, I did clock in and out, uh, but every time I would clock in and out, I would be thinking, you know what, if I was a supervisor, I'd do it differently. If I was a supervisor, I'd do it differently. And then I became the supervisor, uh, and I started overseeing and you know faced some of the challenges, but the reality of, of that was I would say, oh, I wish I could clock in and out again, but I wasn't made for that. Um, I was made to oversee. I was given the gift of administration and leadership, and and so the historical context, the application to the hearers. After that, then you can begin whatever age your child is to say, yeah, you know, sin is horrible. God doesn't, he doesn't shy away from it. He tells, he limits it. He limits the pain. He he already knows it's going to be painful, and so he brings a lot more pain right back. I mean, a lot more limitations back into. The behavior because law can't really legislate, it can only direct, right? It can only reveal and help people get on track toward God. 303 690. I'm sorry, Samantha, that the call dropped, but uh, really good, good question. Love that. That was a great question. I'm gonna go back to the phone lines, uh, and uh, we're heading over to Kansas City, Missouri. Esther is on the line. Hey, Esther, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor
3: Ed, how you doing? Um, I'm okay (laughs) it's
0: good to hear from you
3: uh um well my schedule worked out so i could call in today oh good yes um i had kind of like a a, like two questions i guess if you have time for them sure Um, let's go with number one well the first question is like they're both about prayer but like are we supposed to follow a more you know like calvinistic view of of just like thinking like the world where we just pray for like to accept the results of, like, a tough situation or, like, a a problem? Or can we also pray for, like, a certain solution to arise? And does, like, praying for a solution, like, limit our thinking about God or, like, limit God or are the two mutually exclusive? Like, I don't really have a great way way to word it, um, but are we supposed to pray for peace to accept results in tough times? Or can we pray specifically for for a certain
0: outcome. I think you can do both and I think that we base our prayers uh, on ba- we base our prayers first of all on the character uh, and our knowledge of God is revealed in the scripture and then we also base our prayers on how God has answered in the past. Like God has given us all of these witnesses. Like just this weekend I'm going to I don't know if it's going to be this weekend in particular, but we start a new chapter in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, we've done this whole Hall of Faith thing, right? And then his conclusion in Chapter 12 is, well, now since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, because we've got all these witnesses that have gone before us, they become great models for us to pray within our uh, the context of our current situation. So I would say that to the answer to the question, do we pray with a more Calvinistic bent, I would say absolutely not. I would take my prayer... I would take my prayer life to be pre Calvinistic. I would take it back to the book of Acts. I would take it back to the book of Genesis. I would want to model my prayer uh, on the revelation of God, not the interpretation of man. And I know what you mean by Calvinistic, kind of an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. And we do pray. We would never, prayer wouldn't mean anything unless we believed in the sovereignty of God. It just wouldn't mean anything if we didn't believe that God had a. Um, had a purpose and a plan that he's working out in our lives that happens most likely in that particular prayer request to bring pain, sorrow, suffering, that we're looking outside of ourselves to our Creator that says, God, you see my plight, you see my condition, and I believe what you say about yourself in your Word, that you're working all things together for the good. Um, And then, So you do pray with that sense of the sovereignty of God, that God is God and I'm not, But you can also pray for deliverance. You can pray for solution. You can pray for, I mean, what is the prayer of wisdom? That that has been since the COVID thing has hit and some of the racial tensions all hitting at the same time. I, I think, geez, in just about every prayer of mine, I'm asking for wisdom. And what am I doing when I'm asking for wisdom? I'm telling God, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, God. And you told me that if I ask you for wisdom, you will give it to me. And, and I just don't know what to do. I've got this decision over here, and I've got this person mad at me over here, and I've got, I, I don't know what to do, God. I really don't have any clue what decision you want me to make in the role that you've given me. So I'm asking you, the God of all wisdom, the God of all knowledge, to impart to me the decision I need to make because I don't know what to make yet. And then I think of Paul, you know, another example. So I come to God because he's God, right? He uh, In Hebrews 11, it says we... Um, it's impossible to please God without faith because we need to believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And that's kind of the foundation of why we come to God in prayer. But then is it okay to pray for deliverance? Is it okay to pray for a solution? Absolutely. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, take this thorn on him. Me. I mean, this thing is bothering me. It's overwhelming. I don't want it in my life anymore. And he literally received an answer that's recorded for us in the Bible. The answer from Jesus was, I'm not going to remove that thorn, which I'm sure he wasn't happy but But he said, I'm not going to remove it. But instead, I want you to know something, Paul. This thorn is going to remind you, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. This thorn is going to remind you that when you're weak, I'm strong. And instead of removing the thorn... My answer to your prayer is you're going to have a deeper, more abiding relationship with me. And I think implicit in your in your question too, and you can clarify for me, but implicit in your question is, are there times when we just walk away from prayer um, with a settled trust that um, life is hard and it's painful and it's hard right now and it doesn't seem like it's going to change? Yes. Yes. Yeah, sometimes that's how we walk away from prayer. Um, we was like, man, this is hard. I prayed, nothing happened, and that's the qu- that's the key. We got to be careful when the answer of God is not what we want or expected, because that's going to be the great question for us of how we're going to respond to continued pain and continued difficulty.
3: Right. I guess like. Part of my question is, um, does it make sense to pray for a situation to, like, change if we're always anyways going to be praying for, like, God to change our perspective of, like, the situation or to, like, understand that He's in control?
0: Yeah, it does It does make sense to—the Bible says to cast all your cares upon the Lord. And so the the, the challenge is, is that for a, a thinker, for a person that, that tends to, like, order and likes an orderly life that person has a tendency to interpret things through the veil of what how they see order and how they want their life to go and one of the things we have to resolve is that the answer to prayer may not be what we want and we are the ones that adjust to the circumstances not god adjusting our circumstances and we don't like that it's just straight up especially when it comes to pain sorrow, suffering, we don't like that. You know, we we don't know there's a mystery around prayer of how God actually uses it. There's some mystery around it. However, there is no mystery when it comes to prayer changing you and me, changing our perspective to the situation, changing our attitude, changing our response. Like there's no question on that. Prayer always brings about a change. If if not only me walking away, with a sense of trust in God. But I think we have to be careful, Esther, of approaching prayer like it is somehow making us the sovereign one, even in Mm -hmm. small ways, because if we view ourselves as the sovereign one, then why would we talk to God anyway?
3: Right. Now, that definitely makes sense, and I think the Bible's pretty clear on the fact that we should be praying, I guess is... I've just been like wrestling and like confused with um, how how we go about praying and like what prayer does so
0: well and that's that that is not unusual and it's not uncommon and we were taught and it's been helpful to me that when I run into things that I don't fully understand and that confuse me because I know confusion's not from the Lord he's not the author of confusion so that just means, I am approaching something either with a lack of knowledge or making it harder than it is overthinking things or for me it's not it's not only overthinking things but it's also worry you know a worrier absolutely displaces God in their life um, a person that deals with worry Jesus said don't worry like don't worry about tomorrow and so what do we do? we worry about next year um, and every day there and so worry skews our, whatever fleshly emotion we have, it skews our clarity of who God is and makes things difficult. So let's just say that's the human condition. That's, that is the human condition. So when faced with the human condition, in times that I'm in confusion, I need to stop focusing and living in the confusion. I need to set it aside, and I need to fall back on the things that I know for sure, that there's no question about, um, that God is love, that his word is true, that he has shown himself faithful in the past, even though it's kind of cloudy right now. You know, I I fall back on the things that I know there, I know um, is true because I know I'm going to face so many things that are overwhelming. This world's not getting easier. It's getting so much harder. And if I dwell on all the things I don't understand, then I become a philosopher and not a worshiper. Right.
3: Okay, that definitely definitely does help. Um, I guess kind of coming away from it, then would you say that, like, how, I mean, once again, I, I don't really know how to put this, but <clears throat> is there a reason why we pray, like, other than than God commanding it? Not that that's not a good enough reason, mm-hmm. like, that's definitely the, sure. the best reason, but... Like, why, why do Christians pray?
0: Yeah, I think that that's a good question, because I think that that's an e- if there's an easy slam dunker, well, because we're told to pray, or we're expected to pray, right? Jesus, not even commanding, he says he just says, when you pray. So as our Master's talking to us, not only does he, does he see that expectation in us, but also from his example, right? In John 17, not only does he give a model prayer for his disciples in the beginning of Matthew, but... In John 17, he literally prays out loud. The Son of God, in unity with the Father, prays in His humanity. Um, I would say that prayer is like any conversation; it's a part of a relationship. So we pray because we, you know, the, we we pray be, like any form of communication. It reflects relationship. So I think of you. You know, you've got a lot of friend. You've got a lot of relationships with professors right now and you have a language with your professors, right? You have a particular way you talk to them. Um, There are times when you want to talk to them. They have some kind of knowledge that you need or some clarity they want to bring. And you have a a form of communication with your professors. And maybe out of your professors, as you continue to study there, over the time of your studies, you're probably gonna like professors some more than others. So that's gonna change. You'll probably have a better communication with them, talking to them. And what would you talk about? You would say, "How's your family? Uh, How's life? Hey, I had this problem. I had this question on this problem in in physics, and and you're communicating with them why? Because you have a relationship with them, and then you have a relationship with your brother, Uh, and so that's going to be a different form of communication. Why do you talk to your brother? And I'll tell you why, because you want to. He's your brother, and you want to. You want to check in on him. You may have a level of trust with him where you share some things with him that you don't share with anyone else. And then there's your mom, and then there's your dad. You have a different relationship with them. And then there's me. You have different questions and things that you reach out to communicate with me where you you talk to me because you want to talk to me. And I think that's the missing art of prayer. Like, for example, you're stressed out on a Thursday night and you've got finals and 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 you're not you're not just coming to God with a list of requests you're also coming to him with concerns you're coming to him with the reality of your life you're coming to him as the father that he is to communicate with him and and it is two-way communication like God does speak God does answer and one of the things i like to do when i'm praying is have an open bible because i want god to direct me and maybe bring a scripture back to mind or an episode back to mind where you know, I speak to God not just because he tells me to, but because there's a time coming, and this is interesting that you bring up the question the way you did, because remember, there's a group of people that will be uh, in front of Jesus, I believe, um, at the great white throne or maybe at the Bema seat, somewhere where they're giving an account for their life, and Jesus says, you know, you." Um, they come to him and say, haven't we done this in your name? Haven't we done this in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. And I believe that lack of intimacy and in relationship resulted in them doing a lot of religious activity without personal intimacy. And God always places a higher priority on intimacy and relationship than he does with what we do. So we've made prayer, kind of maybe we've made it in our own minds or we were taught wrong, that we've made prayer like this. Tool instead of prayer, as um, you know, we've made it the tool when it's uh, when it's actually the 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 pathway to relationship to express relationships. It's like why do we talk to anybody? Because we want to. Because we want we want to be a part of their life, even on the smallest scale. You know, people we just meet from acquaintances to one day when you get married and you have that intimate relationship with your husband. All all the relationships in between there reflect communication in some form, and we communicate with one another to the degree that we trust and care with one another. And I think prayer is an ex- God has given us an expression to communicate our heart to Him because that's what builds relationship. Because t- ask anybody, lack of communication immediately begins to re- re- erode relationship.
3: Right. Yeah, I guess I, I guess you've definitely framed it in a in a different context, which which helps. I think knowing more like the eternal or like bigger context behind prayer uh, definitely, I guess, takes off some of the pressure of like, am I praying correctly? Right. Which is good, but yeah, it's, it's definitely given me something to consider. So I appreciate it.
0: No, it's a good question. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be uh, praying, asking God for wisdom on uh, finding a resource that might just I know you're kind of heavy on what you can take in right now but something that will just speak to this part of your prayer life because that when that's broken off and it just becomes a very pragmatic um tool that I do because that's what Christians do then you kind of lose you know it's like your parents right that's the deepest relationship you have right now um that I know of but I'm pretty sure like but Let, let's just say that you, the deepest relationship you have with your mom and your dad, um, if you stop communicating with them, your relationship will immediately suffer. Right. And, and you think about it, when you were still living at home, when you were still with, with your parents and you were talking to your dad, passionately talking about your mom, you're asking for something and they say no and then your next response is why? <laughs> and they don't give you an answer because they don't want to give you an answer or you're not ready for the answer, or whatever, whatever reason, you had to walk away from that friend, that, that conversation trusting your parents. I mean, you could choose not to trust them, and that would just make the relationship worse, but you walked away saying, I don't like it, I don't want it, I wish they'd tell me, but they're my parents, and I love them, and love, and this is one of those things, like love, I like to say here, is the lubricant for friction. And think about the friction that might come up when when we are um disconnected from God, where prayer is just this, I do it because I'm a Christian, instead of, man, I really want to talk to God. I I don't want to do it right. I just want to do it. Like I'm not trying to be right and perfect. I just want to talk to God. I'm 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 mad right now. I'm happy right now. God, mm-hmm. look at your flowers. Thank you for the, you know, Thanksgiving and on and on that list goes where you know, I'm having a hard test, and I don't like this professor, and I'm lonely, and and like the outlet of you just begin to sense that God is with you. He's not only with you, but he's in you, developing and that abiding relationship is something that is neglected, and you know, I just shared it this weekend, like we kind of think, the way to improve our relationship is just to do more, and it's not. The way to improve our relationship is to be more.
3: hmm what do you what do you
0: mean by like being more? It's a matter of priority. Like I I want to be who I am. The Bible says that I'm a son of God, so I'm going to be a son. And the Bible says that I'm redeemed, so I'm going to be redeemed. Like I'm going to live as God identifies me. Um, you're not my daughter, so you could never be my daughter. I mean, I guess somehow we down the road sure, we could ad- sure. Mary and I could adopt you, but you'll never be my daughter. You can't be. My daughter, you can't be that, but you can be your parent's daughter, and you can be a daughter of the king, and you can live out your identity as God has given it to you. But instead we do, we we come well, I'm a Christian, so good Christians pray. So here I am, God, Uh, dear God, um, I don't like life right now, and I don't even know why I'm praying, and uh, I got to get back to studying. Well, what's that going to do? Um, you know, you're not being a daughter. It's almost like you're feeling like I'm forced because this is what a good Christian does. No, no, no. A good Christian enjoys the Lord. A good Christian doesn't live with all of these these demands, even the demands we place upon ourselves. You don't have to do anything. Check, check this out. You don't have to do anything to be Esther, the daughter of George, ever. You already are. So if right. you live your whole life trying to be a daughter, it's going to be frustrating, right? Because the answer is, but you are. You are. I took you home. I know you're my daughter. I mean, we got the DNA tested. Like, you are my daughter. You know, if you weren't my daughter, we, you've lived with me your whole life. You are our daughter. And you take the approach, no, I've got to prove to you I'm a daughter. So I'm going to, be a, I'm going to prove to you every day that I'm here. And your dad's just like, no, nah, man, you're my daughter. I, I mean, stop all this. I don't know how to help you stop this, but trust me, you're my daughter, and I love you. And all you need to do is enjoy me. If you take that toward your dad, it's kind of weird, but a lot of people do that toward God, and it's even weirder. Okay, mm. that's
3: definitely uh, a lot to think over. So I I genuinely do appreciate it.
0: Um, but it's gonna be great. You're making progress. I'm very encouraged you're making progress and you're asking really good questions. So stay in touch, Esther, okay?
1: All right, I will. I'll tell you, talk to you, I'll talk to you later.
0: All right. Hey, you hear the music. Um, sorry, you guys that are on, on hold. Hopefully tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll be back. We're here tonight studying the book of First Peter. So let's gather together in person or online. Let's be the church. Uh, be encouraged with all the craziness that's surrounding us. We trust in God and we're going to live out our life as sons and daughters. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.